0: amen so back into exodus i'm thankful for john kind of filling in last week Um, i appreciate him so much and cameron filling in sunday morning it's great to have men that are um, not only capable but but enjoy god's word and relish it and uh, take it very seriously so i i am very very blessed we are very blessed to have have them The more I study these commands, the Ten Commandments, I was always looking forward to getting to the Ten Commandments as we walk through Exodus, and I'm thinking, man, that'll be easy. It's a whole lot more difficult than you think. Um, Tonight we're going to begin the second table of the law. Remember, the first four commandments uh, is called the first table of the law, and it deals with our covenant covenant relationship to God. It tells us how we are to love God. It tells us how we are to relate to God, how we are to obey God in how He desires to be worshipped. And the second table of the law is the last six commandments, and that tells us how to fulfill our covenant obligations to one another, uh, how we love one another. And so you have two tables of the law, that's what they're commonly called, and those two tables of the law, the Ten Commandments, are the summary of how we love God and how we love others, which is just how Jesus summarized the law in the New Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. So the second table of the law, talking about how we love one another, how we interact covenantally before God with one another, um, there's, a, there's a whole lot in the fifth commandment. And it's no coincidence that this, the second table of the law, the, the how we interact with one another, how we uh, obey God toward one another, begins with... The family begins with honoring parents. So verse 12 of chapter 20 says, and this is the totality of the fifth command. It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, it's no coincidence that the laws governing the covenant relationship we have to God and how that expresses itself in love for one another begin with the family, Begin with the child-parent relationship. God made the family the foundation of all human society in Genesis chapter 2. The family is the basic unit around which all of civilization is built and sustained. All of society is sustained. And the relationship between a child and their parents um, is the first relationship that you know as a human being when you're born. It's the primary relationship that every human being has um, it is the relationship that first instills the principles that human beings live out the rest of their lives. And. Uh, in In reference to society and how they walk in society, and it's supposed to be the first relationship that instills the Word of God in human beings. Parents are commanded to teach their children the Word of God and in deuteronomy you find it you know teach it when you're sitting down when you're going out when you're coming in when you, you all, at all times so before addressing how we love one another in all of society don't kill, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. God addresses that first relationship into which we are born, the parent-child relationship. And the command here is that all people are to give honor to their father and their mother. Now, the word honor is literally Weight, weightiness, or heaviness. It's often translated glory when used of God, and it's translated honor or respect when used of people. It's the same word Cameron was talking about Sunday in his sermon, about weightiness and glory. Uh, When it's used of human beings, it's honor and respect. To honor one's parents is to give due weight to their position and their God-given authority. It's to respect and esteem and value and prize parents as gifts from God. This honor is commanded. It's part of it's the, the very basic beginning of our covenant responsibilities to one another. It it begins that section of the law. To honor one's parents is to to give weight to who they are this commanded. And it doesn't depend on parents' personal qualities or their abilities or their goodness. Because of the position they have been given by God, we are to honor our father and mother. It's God's covenantal command for sons and daughters. And it's interesting, not, not interesting, but it's Um, it would have been interesting at the time that this honor is to be given to the mother and the father. Mothers are due the same honor as the father. We we kind of take that for granted today. Of course they are. Uh, But often in that day, in societies in that time, mothers weren't given the same honor as fathers. But this is God's command, then and now. God's command is both should be honored. Now, as we start applying this command... That's where things get a little, not sticky, but a lot of people have different ideas about what that means and what that should look like. And the reality is that honor, honoring your parents looks different in different situations. So for children, we most often associate honor with what? Obedience, right? And that's correct. I think that's absolutely right. Um, But a parent's authority over their children, the obedience of a child to their parents, is not an absolute authority. So if a father commands his son to sin against God overtly, should the son obey? No. Honoring one's father in that case means disobeying father and honoring God, obeying His command. That would be the way you honor Your father by refusing to be uh, to be commanded to sin, and once again, you know the the age old question as we talk about this command: if a child is being abused in the home, honoring father and mother doesn't mean that they have to stay in the home and take the beating. A child can honor parents' position and their status and their authority before God, and they can love them as their parents, but also not be forced to continually be sinned against or be mistreated in the home. So honoring looks different in different situations. And honoring looks different when you're a grown child, when you're an adult. So an adult child doesn't owe uh, parents' obedience in the same way a ten year old does, and a ten year old can 't be expected to honor their parents if they 're ailing by providing for them like financially or emotionally or a ten year old can 't do that so honoring will look different based on you know how the the child 's age and different things that are going on so things get even more complicated when you talk about Adult children, so like my father and mother are still living, um, adult children with their own families, and adult children that have ungodly or harmful parents. So God's pattern is that man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and there begins a new family, and that family takes precedence. And it may inform decisions about how you honor your father and your mother. But the command to honor your father and your mother, it doesn't change. And it is a moral command. It is binding for all eternity. It is binding for all cultures. So in a sense, as we, you know, I I said all that because I knew those are all the objections that are going to be brought up. And those are all the questions that are going to be asked. Sometimes it takes wisdom to understand as a parent, how you should expect your adult child to honor and respect you. And as a, an adult child, how you are to honor and respect your parents. The fact that you are to honor your parents is unequivocal, and it can't be done away with. And there's no excuses. The Pharisees tried to make an excuse by not honoring their parents and Jesus condemned them. It says, you, you say that you're, uh, they were giving their, instead of giving the money that needed to support their parents, uh, as was customary in that culture, they were quote-unquote dedicating it to God and then keeping it and saying, well, it's dedicated to God. I can't. They were just getting around the law and Jesus condemned them for that. So the, the command to honor your father and mother is, is unchanging. That is a fact. So having heard all of that with all of the application and all of the questions that go in different situations, different circumstances, what are some ways that you think An adult child, we'll start there because fundamentally for children it is obedience and it is respect. But for an adult child to obey the command to honor their parents when they don't live in the same house as parents and they have their own family. What are some ways that um, adult children honor their father and mother? Sure enough. Uh, Gary said one way that they, you honor an adult child can honor their father and mother is to live the way they have been taught. If they've been brought up in a godly manner to live out that godliness and I mean how many times have you seen someone that just um, exudes righteousness and godliness and you say man that they got a good raisin. You know what I mean? And, and that honors that honors their parents. I think that's right. I remember I remember one time being a child, I was 12 or 13, and I was at a baseball game, just like a little league baseball game, and walking around doing nothing. I wasn't playing baseball, and one of my mother's friends was there and heard me just cussing up a storm as a 12-year-old, and when I got home, that was the thing that my parents said, do you realize what that makes us look like? Do you realize that you're representing us, you know? And, And that's true. That's true. That's a fact. That's a dishonor to my parents. For sure. Any other ways? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. He said to aid them in their needs as they age. So take them to the doctor. Be there for them emotionally. You know, do all the things that, that, you know, that care for them. They cared for you when you were... Uh, when you were unable to do so, and you you uh, care for them in their in their in their old age, you know that's that's absolutely honoring your father and your mother. Any others? There's lots. Confront them in love if you see them walking astray. Sure, sure. Confront your parents in love if you see them walking astray. If they're not following God's will, if they're sinning against God, and you. You, you confront, confront them, speak the truth in love. That's, that's a way that you do honor them. That's a way that you do honor As you know, We don't rail against them, but to speak the truth in love is surely a way to honor your parents. Following uh, your parents' rules of
1: the house, when you uh, come into the house, like no smoking, if you're not married, no sex, that kind of
0: thing. Yeah, so she said following your parents' rules when you come into the house. You know, when you're in, you know, long has, long has uh, fathers always said, my house, my rules, you know, as long as you're here, you're going to obey my rules. But that also brings up another um, question that sometimes pastors have to deal with when it comes to this command. You know, what if you have an adult child, an adult, like I'm not talking about 17, 18, but an adult, like 25, 26, 27, your adult child living with your parents. So do you have, do you have autonomy then? And my answer is no, no. If you're if you're living in my house now, parents shouldn't should recognize that this is an adult and should be treated as an adult. But you're not going to bring bad decisions, sinfulness, those things into my house. And you're going to follow the rules of my house. You know, if I say no cooking chitlins on my stove, you better not be cooking (laughs) chitlins on my stove. I mean, you, you, uh, you, you're you going to follow the rules of my house. This is my house. This is my family. This is what I am responsible for. And so I understand you're an adult, but there are some common sense rules or some particular rules that you're going to follow. I, I think that's, that's more than, that's, that's not wrong at all. That's not wrong at all. Any other? Any other? Yes. I know it was a where you're visionaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. So Barbara said she knows of a situation where um, uh, a married couple are missionaries, and they are feel called of God to go back overseas, but that means leaving ailing parents that are here that that need to be taken care of. Um, that's that's a tough one. I, I I can't give a blanket yes you should, no you shouldn't. It would just depend on. It would depend on circumstances, it would depend on the spirits leading, it would depend on um, it would depend on a lot of different things. You know, if I don't know, I don't I don't know what I would do in that situation. Yeah. Oh, there's other children? Oh then I'd go. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I feel I'm hesitant to say if you're called of God to be a missionary, you should leave your parents and go and do But I'm also hesitant to say you should not do so as well. That, that, that takes, that's going to take some pastoral counsel, some digging into the Word of God, and some Spirit-led um, uh, discernment to, to decide what that looks like. Sure, sure. Well, basically, Gary just said that that's when the church could step in and minister. And we're called to minister to the widows and to, uh, to those that, are, that are, are ailing, and we certainly should do that. Miss Anita, do you want to say something? sure yeah that's some of the circumstances i was talking about it maybe yeah yeah so miss anita said that if god is really calling them to be missionaries and to go um, there's other ways that they could provide for their parents without actually being in the you know in the same place yeah yeah and the children could oversee it and You know, and that's the same way, not just missionaries, but, you know, your job calls you to move to California or to New York or something, and you're not around your parents. Um, It's still, you can still honor your parents by providing, taking care of the needs and and overseeing that those needs are taken care of. So it's not a matter of, you you know, it it just depends on what all is needed. Is it available? How it can be done? You know, there's a lot of things to take into consideration there. So i wouldn't give any general this is what you must do i 'd have to hear the hear the everything if if they were to ask huh the complete story. yeah, the complete story, and most often when you you know a lot of that you know there are black and white rules and commands of God that are not broken um, and so but there's a lot of times as a pastor that you have to take in consideration different circumstances doesn't mean we bend the rules or we break the commands or but there's ways that you can obey the command but also go on mission trip or or move to a different state for work or you know whatever whatever things there are some ways that we could we could accomplish that if that's what God's calling them to do so honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you now this is something I, I really, uh, I, I just, i be honest, I kind of learned it this week as I was preparing uh, to present this command to you. The command, this command also has a broader application as well. In Hebrew culture, we know this because we've read lots of passages in our Bibles, even through Acts as we walk through it. Hebrew culture, the terms father and mother are not just used for physical parents. They're also used for people in authority like prophets and teachers and kings. Uh, Just some examples, in Genesis 45, when Joseph is talking to his brothers, he said, it was not you that sent me here, but God, he's made me a father to Pharaoh. And then in Judges, Deborah in her song, says the village ceased in Israel; they ceased to be until I arose. I Deborah rose as a mother in in Israel. Second Kings two, when Elijah is taken up in the chariot of fire, Elisha said, "My father, my father!" as he was leaving. And in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter seven, he begins it by saying, "Brothers and fathers." So this command in Hebrew culture was was it had a wider application. Doesn't nullify the application that indeed it is saying you your physical father and mother you are supposed to honor them but the idea is I think that and feel free to push back on this if you want uh, the idea is that children first learn to honor the authority of parents in the home. And that practice grows with them as they live under authority that God has ordained all through society. So it's the family around which God has established and structured society, and that's where children learn to live under authority and walk responsibly in the world, and they carry that out with them when they go out into the world and they respect the authority that God has ordained, governmental authority, teachers, those those kind of things. Um, and it's also one of the reasons why uh, Satan has repeatedly attacked the family throughout history with ungodly ideologies and movements that have sought to disrupt and even destroy the family unit. Uh, one of the one of the you may not know this, but one of the stated goals of movements like, Marxism in the 1800s which still exists today for sure and various various different critical theories you know critical race theory critical gender theory critical there's all kind of different critical theories one of their stated goals is to remove the authority from parents parental authority is seen as oppression oppressing those who are oppressed and the state or the culture should be the one teaching children ethics and forming views. Uh, you, you see that all over the place today. Uh, and, and so this is this is worth fighting for. so this is why you might hear a lot of Christian people, Christian pastors, theologians um, uh, fighting against all this. Not only is it ungodly, not only is it uh, anti-biblical principles and biblical law, but the family is the fundamental foundation of society. And you don't have just theologians saying that. You have secular people saying that the problem of fatherlessness in the home is leading to all of this different stuff, crime in the world and all, all of these things. The family is the fundamental, um, fundamental unit of society. And so it makes sense that, that this is one of Satan's biggest attacks. One of his biggest attacks is always going to be the attack on marriage. He wants to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy families. He wants to. He wants to remove children from the honoring their parents and listening to their parents. You know, and, and so it's important. It's it's super important. Uh, not just for the okay, we got to obey God's command, but it's important. God gives this command for covenant relationship uh, between uh, people as we love one another, but also as just the, just a. A blessing on society. When there's healthy families, there's there's blessings on society. When there's healthy uh, parental children, relationships with one another, that's a blessing for the rest of the lives of those children. And it is extremely important. It's so important that God takes it very, very seriously. Some of the most frightening curses in the Old Testament are given for children who rebel against their parents. In Leviticus chapter 20, it says, For anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. And then in Deuteronomy 21, it says, If a man is a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives and then... In verse 21, it says, Then all of the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from among your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. This is why what we were just talking about. The family is the bedrock of society. It was the bedrock of society in Israel. This is why God takes it so very seriously. This is why the punishment was so severe. Now, pop quiz. Jason, you believe. That the command to honor parents still applies, and it does. But you don't think disobedience should be punished with stoning to death anymore? Why? Because that's a civil law, exactly right. It would be breaking the law of our government, the government we're under, the government we're commanded to obey, if we punished Uh, our disobedient children that way and if that's the way we punish them I would be long dead and I wouldn't be your pastor (laughs) that's correct so remember that we talked about that when we began the law moral law ceremonial law civil law you're going to see that over and over again but this command you want to say something else yes You know, I don't know. I haven't looked. Does anybody know if that ever happened in the narrative of the Old Testament? I mean, I can't I can't assume that I can't think that it never happened, but do we find it anywhere in the narrative of of Israel? I I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, but that's off the top of my head. I might be missing something. But then again, you know, we never find we only find two or three places where they actually observe the Passover you know, between Josiah's day and, and so, you know, who knows? Yes, Frank? In our culture, it's uh, not very common, but there are people that are 17, 16, that commit murder, and they're tried as adults. Mm-hmm. Yep. Frank said that there are people that are 16, 17 sometimes that commit murder that are tried as adults. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he wasn't their daddy. Yeah, so it was. Gary said that there's a there's it's in Judges. No, it's not in Judges. It's is it First Kings where Elijah is getting made fun of by a bunch of kids and he a grizzly bear comes or some kind of bear comes and, and mauls them. Yeah, they were calling him a bald headed guy. So be careful calling folks bald headed. <laughs> But this command, honor your father and mother, is not just an Old Testament command. It's also reiterated for us in the New Testament. Paul says in Colossians 3, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. And then Ephesians 6 is one of the big passages where he actually quotes the command from Exodus 20. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. He's quoting the passage. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. Make sure you see that, that it may go well with you. Remember that. And that you may live long in the land. And then he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So this command, and we looked at the punishments in the Old Testament for this command, this command is so serious and it's so important and serious for children, it's also got to inform parents of the seriousness of their role and their job as parents to bring their children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, to teach their children to know God and to serve God. In Deuteronomy, like I said, parents are commissioned and commanded to pass down God's instructions to teach them at all times when you're eating, when you're sitting down, when you're going out, when you're going on the way. uh, Spiritual instruction of children is the calling of both fathers and mothers as well, though it doesn't say it here in Ephesians, it says it in Proverbs. Son, hear your father's teaching and listen to your mother's instruction. And so the most fundamental way that God has designed the faith to be passed down, His word to be passed down, is through the family. And that's why children are to honor their parents. And parents can't take advantage of the authority that they have been given. Which raises another question. What if my parents fail miserably at it and are not good parents, are not wholesome parents? What if they don't honor God? What if they don't follow His Word? What if they abandon their calling from God? God gives children, and I take this to mean adult children as well, in his word, in Psalm 27:10 he says, "For my father and my mother forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. We, we have a good father. One of the things that you learn as you counsel people over and over and over again is more often than not, the way that we think of our Father is the way that we think of God. So if God if our father was was domineering and stern and strict, which is, you know, stern and strict is not always a bad thing. We, we feel God is that way about everything. If our, if our father spoke te- terribly to us as children, we, we feel God is that way. Now, we, we, know it's not, we know it's not that way in our brain, but when, we just, when we're living this out, we think of it that way. But the reality is we have a good father in heaven, regardless of what kind of father we had here on earth. We have, a father, we have a father that loves us and is kind to us and has saved us and has given us mercy. Yes, Lyle? In situations
1: like that, the, the government has set up what's called parents' patronage, which is the third parent. So the state is considered a parent. Uh, and so in cases where the parents are abusive, the state is set up the third parent.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. So, I don't know the Latin word, but he said there's a, there's a law that says that if parents are abusing their child, the state can step in as a third parent, uh, considered a third parent, and, and take the... Uh, I'm assuming remove the child from the abusive situation. And, yeah. But it's Paris Patriae, the Latin Paris Patriae.
1: Huh.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So, Yeah. The, yeah. So, and we've already talked about adult children, you know, there's adult, adult children that have parents that are, you know, whatever, they could be anything, mean-spirited, ugly when they speak to you, bad influence on, and we've already talked about that, that honoring them doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you have to be in close relationship with them, but it's honoring their position as your parents, loving them as your parents, even though your family, if you're an adult you know, and you have a family, that family takes precedent. And sometimes there are cases where you have to protect your family from the influence of, of father and mother. And that is necessary to, to steward your family the way God has called you to do, but it doesn't negate the command to honor them. Honoring them just looks different in that situation. See what I mean? Any questions before we move on to the promise? There's a promise associated with this. Okay. So notice the promise. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that you that in long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And Paul says that this is the first command with a promise, the first of the Ten Commandments that has a promise. He said that in Ephesians 6 2. The promise, this promise had special meaning to Israel. To live long in the land is a Hebrew phrase meaning to have the fullness of God's blessing or to have an abundant life. You can see it when he references it in Ephesians. Did you see it? He adds that little phrase in there. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, this promise, if you will, is a general truth like the Proverbs. The Proverbs, you know, raise your child in the way they should go and he'll not depart from it. That's not, that's not a promise from God. That's a general truth as to how the world operates and how God's blessings operate. This is a general truth. It doesn't mean that children who honor their parents are guaranteed to live to be 100. Uh, and it doesn't mean that if someone dies young, that, oh, well, they must not have honored their parents. It's a general principle that there is a blessing and a benefit to honoring God and honoring parents. You will have God's blessing. You will have um, have God's abundance. And that general truth can be seen clearly all through reality, all through society. Healthy families bring a blessing to society and honoring parents as they bring you up in the admonition of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord, honoring them, respecting them is a blessing to children. It's, um, it's, it's easily seen as a, a general truth in, in, in all kind of areas. Are there any questions about honoring your parents before we move to... Yes? Going to what? Right, right. So you're, you're talking about specifically for Israel as they go to the land. So if they didn't, he's saying to honor your parents means to obey their instruction, to heed their instruction of the Lord, pass that down to your children, to their, and then they'll pass it to their children. And in that way, uh, the, the promise is that Israel will live long in the promised land that, that God has given them. Yeah, I don't, I don't have no problem with that. I think that's true. Okay. Alright, now we're going to get to the command that we're all guilty of and we need to repent. Don't kill nobody. Specifically me. So once we move from the primary and first relationship of, that all mankind has with their parents that were born into that relationship, then it moves to Loving one another by not taking the life of another. Now, this is the shortest of the Ten Commandments. Really, it's only two words in Hebrew. It's lo ratzak, in case you care about that stuff. This word is traditionally translated kill. Um, You shall not kill is usually how we've memorized the commandment. Um, It's more correctly, I think, by the ESV, NIV, and many others. You shall not murder. But even you shall not murder doesn't capture the totality of this word. So, for example, I didn't put it on the screen, but in Numbers 35, this command is kind of walked through. And in Numbers 35, verses 16 through 21, this word, Ratzak, is used for, of course, deliberate murder. I intend to kill this person and I'm going to kill this person. That's what we think of and that's true. But in verses 22 through 28 of Numbers 35, this same word is also used for what we might call involuntary homicide or manslaughter or, you know, there's lots of different ways, unintended killing. So there are several theologians that have said it is probably more correct to translate this you shall not kill unlawfully, so whether it be by negligence or whether it be by anything else, you shall not kill in an unlawful unjust way. Now, what this does and this verse is this command is used by a lot of people to push their push their particular bent on a lot of different things. so let me just explain to you a couple of things that the Bible says. the Bible teaches that it is lawful to to take life in self-defense. Okay, Nehemiah armed his workers when they were working on the wall. If they get attacked, they're going to fight back and they're going to do so with swords. They're going to end up taking lives. In Exodus 22, we looked at this a few weeks ago. It says, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. Meaning the guy who struck him, there shall be no blood. If he breaks in and, you know, he's struck, the idea is self-defense. The Bible also teaches that it is lawful to kill in wartime, as long as the war is a just war. Now, there's a whole doctrine, lots of books written about what's called just war theory. And it takes biblical principles from all over Old Testament scriptures and even New Testament scriptures, and it combines them into this teaching called the just war theory Um, And I'm just going to simplify it. It's really, really dense and really complex. But just to simplify it from a biblical perspective, a war is just if it's waged by a legitimate government. It is for a worthy cause. Um, The force used is proportional to the attack and it's waged against soldiers not civilians so that's just a real simplified view of just war theory and so all through scripture you see the command to go to war the command to 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 wipe this people out that have uh sinned against god and are wicked in there you know you see all these different things so it is it is lawful to do that in a just war um The Bible also teaches that a legitimate government may use the sword in execution of the death penalty. Now we know all the Old Testament passages, right? An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Genesis 9 says that whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. We read that when we were in Genesis. But it's not just the Old Testament In the New Testament. Uh, Romans chapter 13, where we talked about obeying government, it says, The rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for, look at this, he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath, on the wrongdoer. So there's a biblical warrant, even in the New Testament, besides all the Old Testament passages, for execution on the wrongdoer. The taking of a human life forfeits your, your life. So there are several things that are um, not just allowed, but commanded in Scripture. So understanding all of that I think this command, you shall not murder, prohibits the unlawful and the unjust taking of a human life. Any questions, comments, any pushback? Sweet.
1: Are you going to address hatred in the
0: hearts? Dustin, man. Dustin. (laughs) Like you just blew my whole deal. Yes. There is. There is. So most of us usually look at that command and we relax a little bit and we're thinking, we're thinking, you know, well, here's one that I haven't broken. But like all the other commands, all the ones that we've looked at, I mean, from worship of God and how it is to be done to if you go down through the commands, we've seen up until this point that um, it's not just a matter of forbidding an action, it's about showing us the sin in our heart. And both of you guys are right. In Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard it was said of old, you shall not murder. He's quoting the Ten Commandments. He's quoting Exodus 20. And whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. See, the punishment is the same. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says "you fool" insults his brother will be liable to the hell of fire. He's saying that anger in the heart, that the kind of anger and hatred that bursts forth out of the mouth, uh, is the same thing as breaking this command. It's murder. And First John chapter three verse fifteen is even more ambiguous. I mean, even less ambiguous. It said, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So taking Jesus and the apostles' interpretation, uh, right interpretation, I believe, even back in the Old Testament, we realize that this command is not as easy to keep as we may have thought it would be. When we harbor hatred and disdain for others, we are exhibiting the root of murder in our hearts. We are breaking the sixth command. When we have feelings of uh, all of the gambit of them, envy and hatred and anger and revenge and all of those things, those are regarded as murder in the Lord's eyes. That is the root from which the action of murder stems. And so it's not just, Well, I didn't do the act, so I'm not guilty of murder. No, these commands, so Jesus said, are matters of the heart before God. So when you love one another, and this is what the second table of the law is teaching us to do, how to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just, hey, you know, don't shoot them. It's you are not to hate them. You are not to to have these murderous feelings toward them. Um, uh, over in the New Testament, I, I'm off the top of my head, I don't remember where it is, but uh, I think it was, it was Jesus who said that murder and, and all these things proceed out of the heart of a man. A- and so it's about the heart. So if I walk around with hatred in my heart for another or revenge in my heart for another or any of those roots of bitterness in my heart, I'm breaking this command. I'm breaking the command to not murder. And so, um, when you take what Jesus says is the right interpretation of the command, what we find is that we too have broken this command as well. Any other? Any questions about that? Any statements about that? Yes. Uh Where would a
1: Christian's place be in voting yes or no? I believe that the Bible teaches capital punishment and just like it did when it said take your son out and let the community stone Mm -hmm.
0: when we go to vote on that law or whatever. So, okay, Gary's question, i got to repeat the question for the people at home. Gary's question is, does it become personal? I'm, I'm, if I misinterpret your question, correct me. Uh, does it become personal, a matter of the heart, a matter of hatred in the heart or a matter of wrong feelings in the heart when we go to vote on something like capital punishment or things like that as Christians? Did I get it pretty close? Okay, the answer to that question is it can, I guess, but I don't think so in most cases because what you're dealing with is what you're dealing with is justice and justice is divorced from revenge and vengeance in the heart. You see what I mean? Now, if you murder somebody in my family, And I'm I'm seeking your death by my hand or by some other hand, whatever. That's vengeance. That's revenge. That's not justice. But if the legitimate government finds you guilty through the and they level that sentence upon you, they don't have a stake in the game. They're not they're not revenging. They're not vengeance. They're not heated emotionally. They're exercising justice. And to answer it more pointedly about whether we should, if if the if I'm gonna tell you my perspective. If if the vote ever comes up for capital punishment, we have to vote on as Christians um, that Genesis nine six passage that says if any man takes human life by if any any man somebody read Genesis nine six for me. What does it say? Who's got it? Come on, Bible quiz. <laughs> All right, I I'll look on my phone. I want to get it right because if I miss if I mispronounce it. I got it. See, I'm quicker than all y'all. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, and here's the reason, for God made man in his own image. So as long as man is made in God's image and continues to be made in God's image, then I believe that that still applies because the reason was not the Mosaic law, it was not the, you know, it was not any of the the tablets it murder was wrong back when Cain and, Cain killed Abel way before the mosaic law was given murder was wrong and it is wrong because man all men all human beings are made in the image of God so the reason God says if a man sheds another man's blood by man his blood must be shed is because he's made in the image of God and so i believe that still holds true today and you can take romans 13 where it says Paul says, God has given rulers the sword for a reason, to be his, his avenger to the wrongdoer. So that's the way I take that. Okay? That command is not as easy as we think it is. We have broken that command. And it's hard, it's impossible not to. You know, I mean, it's not impossible for you to shoot somebody. To not shoot somebody, I mean. (laughs) But listen, somebody... uh, I'm going to give you an example of me. There was a time when somebody wronged, egregiously, someone in my family who I love very deeply. And in that initial initial hurt, that initial rage, if you want to call it that, that initial... It's all there, and it's there. And you, you, know, you say, okay, you understand this is the command. You understand your emotions. You understand what's going on. It takes a little time, usually. You work through it. You, you offer forgiveness. You, you, you go to God, and you bring all that pain to Him. You bring all of that vengeance to Him. You bring all of that to Him. And, and then you say, finally, I, I've just released it, and it's gone. Okay, but you still broke the command. And then what happens is you see that person walk around the corner and it all comes flooding right back. (laughs) And here it is again. And I got to turn it over to God again. But I still broke the command. Uh, I still broke that command. But doesn't that, and it's wrong, it's not, I'm not making excuses and I I never will for uh, God's rules, God's laws, God's command, God's word. But doesn't it give us more of an appreciation for the Jesus who lived perfectly? Not only did he not ever commit the act of murder, but he never hated. He never, he never envied. He never thought of revenge, never had vengeance in his heart, never had any sin in his heart. Not just any action of sin, but never sinned in his heart, in his life. And he lived that way to take my place because I haven't done that. He lived that way. And, and so as we look at these laws, as we look at these commands, the intent, we're going, we're going to start Galatians Sunday, and we're going to go through where he says, not Sunday, but eventually, we're going to go through where he says the law is given. It's a schoolmaster. It shows you your sin and it drives you to Christ. That's what, that's what these laws do. It, they, they, they call forth the sin in my very heart. Have I, I haven't honored my parents. I haven't, I haven't um, been free of the sin of murder in my heart. I haven't done these things. But as you see the, the blackness of your own heart, and mine's just as black as anybody else's, as you see the blackness of your flesh and your fallen nature here, you also see it on that black background. You see the brilliance of the gospel and the beauty of what Jesus done and the incredible nature of the life that he lived. Never, not only never sinning you know, in the way he talked and the way he acted, but never sinning in his heart, never sinning in his mind, never sinning at all. And that is the only way necessary. That's the only way possible for man to be righteous before God is zero sin. Not struggling with sin, but never sinning. And Jesus came and He did that as both God and man so that we could be free from the condemnation of sin. And the Spirit is given to us as we trust in Him, as we are born again. So when that sin does rear up in our fallen hearts... The Spirit is right there to convict us of that sin and to say, no, no, you're breaking this command. This is what Jesus died for. You cannot embrace this. And we repent of that sin and we move forward in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These commands and their conviction on our hearts Man, they just, they bring forth the glory of God. It doesn't mean we sin all the more so God will all the more be glorified. Paul denies that, and that's not the way believers live, not ones with new hearts. Uh, But it does give us such good news for us who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? Okay, these next commands, the last... uh, what would, it, what would be the last four commands? We're probably going to move pretty quickly through them because they're they're a little they're a little easier, I would think. You know, don't lie, don't steal, covet might take us a little more time as we apply that to ourselves, um, but uh, and, and adultery might take a little time because you know lust is included in that. So uh, we should be getting through with these, and then we have the joy of walking through chapter after chapter after chapter of case studies of all of these laws and how they're applied. Doesn't that sound like fun? And then once we're done with that, we get to dissect every piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It's going to be so much fun. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, we, we joke and we jest, but we know that every single word that you have put in this book for us is for us and it is applicable to us and it is uh, for our instruction and for our reproof and our correction, and we take it very seriously. So God, I pray as you help us uh, move continually through the book of Exodus, God, that you would just reveal yourself to us, And, and, and more than anything, that you would just show us Jesus in the midst of all of these Old Testament rules and stories and cases that we may have read so many times before but have failed to see the, the salvation, uh, your salvation and your son and your gospel in them. God, I really want us to see Jesus as we're pointing to all these things. So help us as we go forward. We thank and we love you in Jesus name. Amen.